This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where customers who save by switching their home and car save nearly $800 on average. Quote at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Anyways, are we gonna are we gonna do this? Yeah. Are we gonna record? Yeah, well, I mean, we are recording, right? Oh, very excited. Anyways, this SPR. is behind the oh. scenes of SPR. Oh, yeah, we sorry, were okay, yeah, all right. Well, that's the yeah. one we're using. <laughs> I'm co-executive producer John Dorsey. And I'm the other co Maximilian Clark. For our mid-season break, we're doing a behind-the-scenes peek at the show. For those of you who don't read the show notes, uh, first of all, how dare you? Uh, secondly, Max is not only the co-writer, co-producer, he's the series director and editor and many other hyphenates, so he's got a lot on his plate. So instead of having two weeks of nothing while he crafts the back half of the season, I'm going to take you behind the scenes of the series to show you what inspired Superhuman Public Radio. For this first episode, we're going to talk to you about the comics and comic media that inspire the show. Some of these things are going to be pretty obvious, but hopefully you find something new to pull at your local comic book shop. So first off, we're talking about one of the main characters in our whole series. Uh, that is Callum Callahan, Cosmos. Based on probably the most famous comic book character of all time. And you've already guessed it. It's Superman. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah Yay! <laughs> way, to, way, to, way to make some connections there. Um, but uh, Jack and I talk a lot about the things that uh, we love about Superman and the way that we feel that he, he never really gets portrayed the way we want him to. Because uh, at his core, this guy from another planet who comes to Earth, you know, from a dead world. I mean, this was the story told from its writers who like, you know, we're, we're, we're Jews in America trying to figure things out. I will not hide what I am. Because I am proud of my alien heritage, heritage that the president now considers to be a crime. You know, to be fair, a lot of people have been writing more about his status as an immigrant and definitely seeing Superman as more of a immigrant story. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, no, sorry. I don't want I don't mean to you know disparage all comics. I mean, in, in most of the adaptations of Superman. Oh yeah, he's he, he for a very long time Superman became kind of like a Christ figure and then it sort of forgot the fact that, you know, he was a character written by as we said two Jews who lived in Vancouver who were who felt that they could not be their truest selves and had to hide that away from everybody and couldn't live up to their full potential as, you know, menches, I guess. And <laughs> come child your full potential is in front of you. You may yet be a mensch. <laughs> Superman's a character that I've always loved because half my family's Methodist and the other half is Jewish, but I didn't really experience the Jewish side of my family until after my, my parents got divorced. So right, that's interesting. 
basically around the same time Clark would have found out that he was an alien. Like I found out I was Jewish and had this entire other side of my family I could learn about. So I, you know, growing up, I've just, I've felt a lot of kinship to that character. Yeah. Well, I mean, like when you're in a position of power, uh, you know, even if it's like, like a, like, like a coach or a teacher or just any sort of leadership position, you, you always have to keep a comfortable distance from the, the people under your protection. You can clown around, you can have a good rapport, but there is always that little bit of separation. And with Superman, that's with everyone. He is, he is the strongest person on earth. He has a lot of responsibility. And because of that, it's hard to find people he can relate with, like as peers, like even, even among the Justice League. And it's really sad. Because, like, when you think about, like, how he was, you know, raised, like, you know, he, like, you know, he was raised to have, like, this, like, you know, nice, normal life. And, um, you know, once he fully embraces powers, like, you know, he made the call that, like, no, they, like, he doesn't get to have that. And we definitely tried to swing more into the what is the consequence of this character and especially of his upbringing and who he is in the series, which is why there's not as much Cosmos saving the world. And instead of having that, you know, our A story is really for him. It's the fact he's being deported because, they, you know, he's an illegal alien and we go on his journey. Yeah, and, and I, I think that's a really interesting uh, place. Like, like that happens. Episode one, like season one, episode one, uh, he's already um, like on trial. It's the first news story we run. I haven't actually thought about yeah. that, but that's interesting. We never get to see him like it, like everything that we hear about him being like the hero to end all heroes. Like it's all prologue. But I was different. And because of those differences, I have the power to stop asteroids, crush robots and pursue my ideals to the best of my ability. We could have done the we could have done an episode where he saves the world, like in, in the most ideal world. And we've been talking about this lately, you know, had we had 20 episodes in season one, what would we have wanted to do? And I feel like episode one might have been like episode 10. You think so that we could have gotten to know. Yeah. And we could have gotten to know quantum a lot more. That, that I agree with. We could have gotten to know. I, I would have loved to have yeah, more time. And we with could have gotten Singh. to know. Oh, absolutely. Well, even Stephen Singh, you know, in in how he's portrayed, like he's also kind of the other half of Superman because he's this reporter slash superhero that we, you know, get hints of his, you know, bigger journey and, and his his alter ego. And of course, you know, he he dies and we get the sort of death of Superman story you know, not from the perspective of other heroes, which is what that original comic was about. And instead, it's everyone else mourning him and all of his peers who have found out that he's a superhero. And even in season two, that, you know, that death is still making waves. And I just hit my microphone. <laughs> but when we were thinking about the series and kind of like who we were, going to have his touchstones and like you know what are these superhero archetypes you know it would i feel like the two that were going to be the like biggest figure in the universe was either going to be 
uh, Clark Kent type or a Peter Parker type. And we definitely went on the side of Clark Kent splitting into two characters so that we could still have this all powerful figure who's been sort of neutered. And then also, you know, this kind of other hero who, you know, dies and and not have to lose both of them. So we could explore both storylines while, you know, there's like definitely an alternate version of the show where there's an intern at SPR who's like an upcoming superhero that like everyone else doesn't know about. I mean, that would definitely be fun uh, to talk about. Yeah, no, it's it's, inter- it's interesting because like I think one of the themes that I like that we touch on with Cosmos a lot is the idea of like, like, what is your responsibility? Like season one is mostly just like we're playing with the optimism of, of Superman, right? Because like most of what he does is because he really, truly believes that people have the capacity to you know be good uh and you know i hate to see i mean but we had the american government let cosmos down uh pretty severely and in um this new season just the idea of like like who is superman responsible to ultimately right you know we talk about truth justice in the american way but when you think about it like if you enforce the law as written is that in the pursuit of justice and, and I think that that's something fun that we've really yeah. got to explore this season. Season one is a season one is us reacting to the Trump presidency. And it's it's pretty obvious if you've listened to it recently. You know, immigration is up top. The American president is a bully. We didn't even name him because for a while we were like, oh, is it just Trump? Like we named him. Ames. We we did later on because we had a discussion after we wrote it of like, oh, what is this guy's name? And, you know, it's it's that thing of just we tend to America shoots itself in the foot a lot. And if Superman were real, it would 100 percent become an issue that he was an illegal, an illegal alien. Right. You get called a socialist. He would be you know, derided for his actions in other countries. And eventually there would be a moment where it all popped. And, you know, it's it's something we want to take head on. In fact, you know, we we we're never this is something that we can tell you right now. We're never going to do an evil Superman story on the show. One, because it's been done to death. And two, because Homelander is the best version of that character. Well, but and, we and, wanted and three, to... I don't think it's as interesting. I think I, th- I think I, th- I think it's like the obvious thing that people go to. But I don't think it's as interesting as a good Superman trying to exist in an unjust world. Because if I am not a citizen here, if instead of being accepted as an Earthling, I am merely tolerated for my utility, then that great country I landed in exists only in our dreams. Well, and right. But then also what happens when Superman gets radicalized, right? Like... And not in the sense of like, you know, he's going <laughs> to do like sweet kick flips or, you know, Radical. just like all of a sudden be spraying. Yeah, like spraying like anarchy symbols everywhere. But like, you know, what if he's on this this thing that Max said, what is what is legal and what is justice? And then to have that character enact those things. So, you know, brief 
like this isn't a spoiler, but it is definitely if you've been watching his journey, it's, you know, there is an end game for him with how he's been treated and what he believes in that we're going to see what happens when the world's most powerful man really does follow what he believes is right. Um, yeah. And like, yeah, like, like, like the idea of being radicalized, like in some ways, that's a good thing. Like, you know, something that we talk about this season is every like if Captain Planet was a superhero, he would be like wanted by Interpol. Like in, that is insane to me because like the legal thing is to is to let the oil industry do what it wants. Like 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 if you want law and order, that's that's it. But, you know, if you want to do the just thing and it's like, you know, what the thing with Superman is, I mean, I guess this is what uh, Homelander really does explore really well is you just kind of have to hope that the guy uses his powers well. Yeah. And it's. A lot of Superman media has been bad recently. I'm not a huge fan of Man of Steel's sort of quasi libertarian take on the character of you can't show them how special you oh, really I are that. Oh, i and, hated that right and it's just and even you know again like justice league and even on the tv shows where they kind of everybody's trying to do a realistic take on the character and you know we're guilty of this as well but superman is at his best an aspirational character I, and I, I i have known people like the thing about superman is we get extraordinarily lucky that Superman is who he is. Like, I, like, I don't think that it's impossible that like, I mean, you've met people like that, right? Who will absolutely do the right thing, regardless of the circumstance who like go above and beyond. It's I mean, it's aspirational yeah. in the sense of like, what if someone like that actually ever had some real power? <laughs> but I think that's yeah, it would be I mean, but that but. It would be yeah, crushing. But that's the that's the great thing about about comic books, about about that world. Right. Is the idea that if like it is a very leveling factor when anyone could just wake up. Right. Like there's no inheritance. Well, well I guess we do talk about inheritance of powers, but <laughs> by and large, like, you know, the idea that like, you know, you can be anyone. I mean, it's the thing that Stan Lee talks about. Right. Like anyone could be yeah. Spider-Man. Anyone yeah. can wear the mask. Yeah. Well, Jack, what's your favorite version of Superman? <laughs> uh, I'm glad you asked that. Here's some things that I'm going to suggest for you guys to check out that I've been enjoying. That's especially Superman media. Um, one on HBO Max, the My Adventures with Superman is super good. They've done what I've wanted them to do to the character for a very long time, and that is to approach him like he's Peter Parker and focus on his interpersonal relationships and make him putting on the costume sort of secondary. And the series is a rom-com between him and Lois Lane. So he's, it's, it's so charming. His roommate is he has um, a roommate, Jimmy oh. Olsen. You know, well, yeah, it's just, but it's, they make sure one, it's very optimistic Two, it's, kind of anime influenced which is something i would have never imagined for superman but really fits and three they just they build his character to be optimistic without him being a fool and it really works and you just feel for the guy yeah. and 
a huge piece of that is they treat him like Peter Parker, like his he's saving the city and he can do it really fast. But like, oh, my God, like he's in love with Lois Lane and he can't stop thinking about it. And like, that's so great. And that's what makes him human. And that's what the characters needed for so well, long. I mean, and honestly, and you actually hit on one of one of my biggest gripes is that like optimism is treated as this like naivete when instead it's like optimism is hard, dude. Like, 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 I mean, I try it constantly and it is incredibly, incredibly hard because you have to. I know I'm a pessimist and I find your optimism just (laughs) (laughs) exhausting. No, but, 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 you know, it's harder for me to maintain it because it's an active process. Like, it's not ignoring the world. It's like really like believing that the world can be made better. And like, you know, that's what gets you out of bed in the morning. Right. Like, because if things can only get worse, like what's the. What's the point? And, you know, you know, history is cyclical. There's always, uh, you know, light times after dark times. You know, actually, you know what the best version of Superman that's been on screen for a very long time Mm. was? Ted Lasso. Mm. Like you take that kid, that guy and throw the costume on him. It's just it's. And even the voice, like, you know, it was like Midwestern. It was like, holy shit, that's that's what Superman would sound like. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I'm going to leave you guys with one more suggestion. It is my truly my favorite version of Superman. You should pick up Superman for all seasons by Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale. Um, If you're not on if you've never read their kind of team ups, They've done so much great work together. They've done work with Marvel. They also did Batman The Long Halloween, which if you're not familiar with, is the basis of not if like basically all modern Batman media and 100% the basis of Dark Knight, like the Chris Nolan Batman. So it's it's the one you want to check out. But Superman for all seasons tells the story of Superman like moving to Metropolis his first meeting with Lois, the first time he meets Lex Luthor. It also tells the story of his parents, and it's really just kind of the start of his journey. But it, wait, it, it it feels like the Norman Rockwell version of Superman, and its artwork is really ga- great, and it's just it's simple, and it kind of hits all the notes you want from a Superman story. Um, I just it's. I almost don't want to say anything about it because it's one of these things that you should just pick up and experience for right. the first time. Yeah, no, I I'm stop touching my mic. What you want a scripted show that's like well put together? You get it in two episodes. You get my garbage now. Max is working. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I am actually in the background also working on this season because I never stop. Yeah. I never stop. So oh, please tell your friends. I know. I'm. But uh. All right. So next up, we're going to talk about uh, the next sort of biggest storyline that we address on the show, which is the heroic legion. Um, Max, what are the influences on the heroic, well, yeah, legion? the heroic legion is your your basic like Justice League Avengers uh, organization? Uh, like, but honestly, like, I feel like we have a lot of anime influences, too. There's a lot of one punch man in uh, a lot of the ways that superheroes are organized. Uh, a little my hero yeah uh, also creeps in um I, I, honestly like we get a lot of our statistics uh just lifted from my hero um just because uh 
you know, it like, you know, when you think about it, it's like, like what percentage of the population having superpowers is destabilizing, like to society, to society. Function? Wait, wait, wait. I always thought the, the one of the things that's fun for this on the behind the scenes is not only are you guys learning things, is that there are things that me and Max just <laughs> don't tell true. each other, because even though we co-write the show, it's not a thing where we were like, hey, by the way, this is what influenced this. Um, I've always used the statistics I use is uh, gay people in America because everybody knows somebody who's gay, but it doesn't feel like, you know, it doesn't feel like the largest percentage of people that, you know, so it felt like the most natural kind of like, oh, this is just going to be the percentage of any Actually, super you know, thing. Because um, it also kind of works as a Gallup metaphor. just did a, uh, a poll on uh, the uh, number of people who are identified as uh, uh, LGBTQ. I plus. Um, what percentage would you say identifies queer? Uh, was it like 23? 7.5. In the yeah. United States? Yeah, it doesn't seem low. I think that's the like. It seems low. I've always thought the like accepted number was in the twenty. Yeah, I, well, I mean, I think it's still. Like, I mean, like you know, this this is too much of a sidetrack, but like you know, just like we're not that far removed from the time that like being outed would ruin your life. It still happens yeah. to people today. Um, like having powers definitely ha is frequently like tied to the idea of queer identity um in episode one of the new season um like a lot of those statistics and storylines are obvious stands in for being uh queer or trans there's people who hide their powers because of religious beliefs to fit in to protect themselves a thousand valid reasons there's whole communities families that disown children for manifesting powers that they never even asked for the 20 percent uh a lot of like the power rankings are uh um uh, some of the way that the Ouijin is uh, operates definitely uh, taken from uh, from those two animes. Yeah, yeah. D rating is that like Moomin Rider? Is that <laughs> uh, no, no, he, Hey, Moomin Rider at? is a C class baby. He rides that bike so good. Oh my god, that's right. He he is C class, and he gets that. Oh my god, the episode where One Punch Man punches the guy so hard it's oh yeah the yeah, rain yeah. Goes away. the entire time riding oh away around on Moomin Rider's like handlebars. You know, the most powerful hero in the yeah. world just sort of casually riding on this guy's like handlebars throughout town. Mo Moomin Rider oh is honestly best hero. Uh when um when I was riding uh the catch up Avenger, I uh I had uh One Punch Man playing a little bit. I think something that we have had a lot of explicit conversations about is that the heroic legion as it starts in season one is not fought, right? Like they have a questionable no. relationship at times with, um, with, with the, uh, government, but they are not intrinsically evil. Like they're, they're just, they're just well, passively like, bureaucratically evil the way that any large we've, we, the, we, Amazon, which is explicitly evil, yes. but the the company that I use a lot is Starbucks because, mm -hmm. you know, Starbucks horrendous. But having worked as for Starbucks as a teenager, like it wasn't a bad place to work back then. And, you know, even their corporate ethos for a while, like 
they were trying to make the lives of the partners, aka you know the people who work there, a little bit better. Partners, of corporate speed. Yet, I oh my yeah. god, it's so bad. And then on top of that, but then anytime you know, it's like we would like to unionize. They're like, we're closing down your store for. Uh, there turns out there's just too many Starbucks's here. What a coincidence! Like mm-hmm. they're they're evil in the sense that they're just trying to keep themselves as the yeah. top dog and they will do anything to well it, it's happen. um it's like what uh, we talk about in uh the question in season one i didn't think any person at the company wanted to hold the world hostage or blow up Liechtenstein or anything like that but thinking about some of the things the company as a whole would do the incidentals we'd call them Taken together, it started to feel like the company itself had this secret evil agenda, and we were just its henchmen carrying it out. And and it's true. It's like it's something I think about a lot. How like there's a lot of very good people who work for evil enterprises, and you know it's literally just because profit is a terrible thing, just absolutely horrific thing to try to pursue. It's just everything. It just feels so disappointing because like I feel like our age is really defined by the failure of organizations like one organizations just trying to eat everything and just profit, 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 but also to the failure for them to do the right thing, you know, and it just felt very right that our big superhero organization and, you know, it's it's a storyline everybody does. You know, a lot of these things feel inevitable in how we write mm-hmm. them. But to have it be like, oh, like we, you know, we do do good. Just don't look over here. Yeah, you know? well, you know, and like, <laughs> you know, again, it's that law. It comes back to the same thing that we're talking about with Cosmos. If you do things that are legal, and like if, if your ultimate pursuit is doing the legal thing, you will eventually do something that is like horrific. Yeah, well, there's you know what? There's no money in doing the right thing that. Yeah, if there if there was, we would live in the Star Trek world. You know, we would just wear weird jumpsuits and want for nothing and have the pornography cave that everybody calls the holodeck. Uh, was it the, the pornography <laughs> cave? The holodeck. Yeah. I mean, oh, you're no, not God, wrong. That place you're not never wrong, t- but I don't want to think of it. Never do not take don't take a black light oh, into that room geez, <laughs> it's Jack. just it's gonna be like that it's gonna be like that scene in 2001 a space odyssey when he's just in a white <laughs> void <laughs> jack that is the worst thing you have ever said uh, out loud <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's not something you want to discuss openly first season we definitely has some amazon uh, bits but like you know i I, th- I think like one of the things that we keep coming back to whenever we bring up the legion and i don't even know if it's intentional is the way that they are uh morally compromised is always in the way that it pursues the law and will work with the government uh and as we you know have at the beginning of this season like you know to the detriment of all the supers that it claims to represent the season, the the big storyline for the Heroic Legion in season one is they're looking for a new city for their second headquarters. So like Tower Two, you know, be, it, it, Avengers Tower, yeah, Tower Two is going to be built somewhere. Which is we ripped this straight from the headlines because Amazon was looking for a second headquarters, and the two places they were 
really looking at were New York and D.C., but they promised pretty much every other city around the, the country like a, a shot at this. And, you know, even though Amazon is awful, you know, having their headquarters there pretty much promises at least anywhere from like 500 to like 5000 yeah. jobs, right? Like permanent jobs too. really like good jobs. Yeah. And you could revitalize the city. So everybody bent over backwards to do this. And these cities wound up sharing a lot of kind of like private government information to Amazon because they're like, oh, we don't know if this is a good place to go. And it's just yeah. like, oh, geez, if only like we knew now, how many, I don't know, married people between the ages of 25 and 40 with an income of 75,000 to 150,000. That would really let us know, you know, who we could hire for all of our jobs. The Legion has made an open call for proposals from any urban center within range of an international airport. This is expected to instigate a bidding war among candidate cities. You know, being a millennial and being of this generation where we have become, we, you know, we're pretty savvy about our privacy, but we've kind of, as we've gotten older, we've just watched it just completely get stripped away. And to watch all of this get handed over and handed over on like a, like a gold platter, not even a silver platter, because it a, turns it's out a hell of a places, platter. <laughs> it's a great platter, well, Jack. The places, but the places they, yeah. they chose, which was New York and then Arlington, Virginia, which is where I live, uh, they had already signed. They already knew they were going to do this. And our local government, our governor, had signed NDAs saying, oh, yeah, we know the deal is going to happen here, but, you know, maybe they go to this other city. So they... They were just, yeah. they were, you know, it's just, it's, it's theft, right? They were just stealing your information, things that they should have to work for as a corporation, or at least have to pay for it so that you can get schools and roads and all this other stuff. And they get it for free. And that's so frustrating that we live in this, you know, we live in this like cyberpunk dystopia where like, it just looks like the suburbs, yeah. but it's it's just so hard to fight against. So looking at that and kind of thinking about, OK, if this Justice League exists, what would they want? Well, they would want supers. They would want the best of the best. What, how would they do that? Would they offer the best things or any of things like or like the best uh, costumes or sidekicks or, or you know, benefits and be like, no, they wouldn't do that because that costs money. They would just cheat. <laughs> they would they would game the system in order to do this. And that system, you know, it fails. And that information leads to the Super Act coming out, which like, you know, really it, it puts everyone yeah. in danger. And even though they're trying to make themselves they're trying to enrich themselves and trying to do right by, you know, the people at the top, like everyone yeah. suffers. And that's what winds well, up and, happening. And, and I think like, know, when... so we have um, in episode in season two, episode five, we have uh, Anna Clark, uh, spoiler, a.k.a. Iron Barracuda, um, give a speech. And I think like, you know, it is one of those things that like, yes, the Legion as a whole made this like decision. But like, you know, they they they're still telling themselves that they did it for the right reasons. 
I don't know. I think it's just like really important that it's like it's it, it, these are not unthinking, unfeeling like bad guys that we have here. Yeah, they're human. They're human. All of all of our bad guys, except for maybe Grinder. Prince Nokov and well, Bone Grinder. I mean, Grinder, he, you know, he he's like Goku. He just wants a good fight. He wants a good fight. Like at least he has a goal. These corporations just want what the corporation wants, which you know feels like this lovecraftian thing that you're yeah. feeding you know it's and that's a thing that we come back to organization people are good organizations are more they're bad you know once you put everybody together and you're not serving a human interest you're serving this thing's interest it most likely is gonna want it's gonna wind up in someone getting hurt yeah. so max what is your favorite justice league slash avengers comic slash media you know what's something that you drew upon for this i i feel like most of my influences are real world right i mean like a lot of it is amazon a lot of it is um you know the corporate entity as it exists in the real world um because like we don't actually get to see the heroic like justice league in action right it's just not the show like just the avengers did it endgame is great i love endgame we don't need to do endgame fair fair uh you know yeah i mean i guess it is kind of funny because it's like uh their heroic legion uh has always been more avengers than justice league in my head just because it's so much bigger and more corporate did you say it's more more justice league than justice league yeah well okay so that that's fun that you mentioned that a thing that i would read Mm -hmm. sometimes in order to sort of get in the right headspace is uh the ultimate uh one and two which is uh the if you're not familiar with it marvel did this kind of reboot of their universe in the aughts called the ultimate line it started with ultimate spider-man and this is where like miles morales came from this is where miles morales came from um a lot of really great storylines. A lot of the MCU kind of drives itself from mm. this line. In fact, Nick Fury in the comic was drawn as Sam Jackson. And at some point, they're having a discussion of like the Avengers are having a discussion of, oh, who are they? Who's going to play us in the movie? And this picture of Sam Jackson is like, of course, Sam Jackson is going to play me. And then later they offer the role to Sam Jackson. They're like, sorry, we drew this character as you. And he was like, it's fine with me. I got a 20 picture deal. It's cool. (laughs) Um, But the ultimates was, so the ultimates is their version of the Avengers. And it took the Marvel ethos of the world outside your window. And it like, you know, the ultimate universe tried to be like even more contemporary to today than ever. Like Peter Parker isn't a photographer. He's like the web guy at, the uh daily planet which is like uh, i get uh, it daily like, bugle. Uh, boo <laughs> or the uh, daily bugle. The web guy and <laughs> i know like i read i remember being a teenager and reading that and i'm just like god damn it like i get it but just, I, I mean no. i mean says the guy who wrote the ad for thwip recruiter please visit us on the web okay yeah <laughs> all right fair one of my favorite ads. but anyways so like so the ultimate's being their version of the Avengers, like every time they go into battle, like you see, you know, the military is backing them and they have a ton of people like shield is on the ground with them. And they're like, 
you you see the amount of crap that takes to get the Avengers out into the field and you get this like it changes the scale of the fights in a lot of ways. And even even just the world, like when Captain America comes back. When he when he's thawed and he meets Nick Fury, who's a black man, and he's like, I'm a general. He's like, bullshit. You know, the highest ranking uh black officer is like a corporal or something and because he, he didn't believe it because it's from world war ii and it 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 took all the thoughts of oh well uh, hulk you know causes a lot of damage so like when hulk comes out like people die he like eats them the hulk is horrifying and it winds up being this really it's he, it's dark but someone yeah oh, hulk no. eats people in that comic it's oh yeah it's um if you've never read it, it's a really interesting take mm-hmm. on the Avengers. Um, I mean, Captain America is welcomed back by George W. Bush, who was the president then. And it's mm-hmm. really weird to yeah. see Bush. And he's like drawn in this like dopey look. Um, it It's just a super contemporary version of the Avengers. And it, it helped me kind of think about like, all right. Let's take this group. Let's crack that egg open. Where's the stories that we can we can mm-hmm. mine in this? Um, the other book, which you should check out, is Kingdom uh, Kingdom Come by Mark Wade and Alex Ross, which is like the future of the Justice League. Um, there's not a huge story to it. It would take too long to describe it. It's just it's in the future. The Justice League is now it's it's kind of fallen apart and it's all these younger heroes are running around and one of the things i try to i drew on in that is uh the when the justice league gets back together they meet at a restaurant and the waiters that are serving them are dressed in their like old costumes and it really shows you that like even in this world like everything would be commodified like even their old identities Mm -hmm. and i just i really love that aspect of just reminding us like capitalism yeah. just always fucking wins. Yeah. Uh, I mean, hey, but you know, we're we're fighting it in our world at least. Not not in our world. Not but in, not fully. Yeah. Anyways, oh, yeah. uh Bombus sucks. <laughs> this episode's brought to you by Bombus sucks. On Patreon. Uh, uh comrade. On comrade cuz we are making yeah. the show together, comrade. My Venmo is super cool guy, and that's not my Venmo. But um, <laughs> what's next, Max? What are we gonna talk about? What is our next big storyline? Oh well, we gotta talk about the Super Act. Yeah, it's it's the culmination of season one, and it is the inciting incident of season two. The Super Act will bring our nation together again. The Super Act. Our version of the Superhuman Registration Act, the uh, that old chestnut that every comic universe has to address at some point yeah. during the run. Uh, God. Yeah, I think my first introduction was the uh, '90s X-Men cartoon uh, version when they when they took that on, or was it the actual comic run? Oh, uh, jeez, it was definitely X-Men the first time I got into it. I'd say this: our generation, our introduction definitely x-men tar- cartoon with the version of rogue that is way too sexy <laughs> wow wow sugar uh you can look but don't touch i don't know i i feel like every time uh we get into a registration act it's relevant and it's just always relevant because history is a mess isn't it 
a giant circle of people trying to find a boogeyman and yeah. ruin their lives. Yeah, it's uh, it really I mean, I mean, sucks. You, you came into <laughs> Judaism late. Did, were you inundated with Holocaust stories uh, as a kid at all? Yes, because I had friends who were Jewish and I've I've had a lot of I, I, a close childhood friend. The stories of the Holocaust really affected him because he he even showed me like, here's my family tree. And then you just see a branch that just like ends. It's just, yeah. you know, growing, growing, growing 40s gone. And then just there are his grandparents who like got to America and they were able to keep on mm -hmm. going. My grandfather was a B-52 captain and he was shot down over Berlin and spent the rest of World War Two in a camp and when the Nazis were, you know, and there's a story and it, it might be apocryphal. Yeah, is that the that right is, word? That I don't know if it's yeah. true, but um, that has been told that when his unit was asked, you know, are there any Jews among you? And he was ready to like bite the bullet. Everybody stepped forward. So like this is something that has been being worried the government is going to decide you are the bad guy has been as a part of my life as unfortunately it's it's been there it, it's just a specter that's been there and it's something that i i'm obvious like i'm not that worried about it um as i'm a <laughs> blonde white dude in america i don't feel under threat but you know that story has been well, there you, and you know, certainly it's, it's funny you say that. I, I spend uh, a lot of time uh in my other job uh among militia men and QAnon believers and things like that and those blonde white dudes are certain that the government is going to put them on a list uh and their solution to that is to put marginalized people on lists. other yeah. people on lists yeah it's yeah, it sucks how we just keep on telling that yeah, story. It just always it always feels it, real because like, you know, it's it is like, you know, you need a scapegoat to keep power if you are running an unethical. Like giant like oligarchy government. Yeah. You know, yeah. we're at war with Oceania. And, uh, you're yeah, but, uh, you know, again, this this. Uh, Which one are we at war well yeah. we're at war i'm sure we're at war with somebody but you know this the story the season one was written during the trump presidency the his whole thing was immigrants are bad i don't like immigrants they're coming to do bad stuff let's put them on a list and it felt right that the first season would end with all right like they're they're coming they're coming for the audience of the show which is superhumans and in season two we're really kind of drilling down on that and especially with our you know trans friends and family being targeted by the right wing right now it felt only natural okay let's keep on going let's keep digging into the story because as you said it's a, it's unfortunately very contemporary yeah, uh, well, and, and like, you know, honestly, like, uh, so Patrick Har Harvey uh, is the guy who plays President Norris. And um, I remember when we recorded that speech at the end of season one, uh, it just like how like I like I, I couldn't talk afterwards, like like we got it, we finished the session and then like 
uh as soon like as soon as like we had logged off the zoom i just sort of sat there for a little while being like oh not too far away for too long we have found enemies among our neighbors and made enemies where they couldn't be found we've lived with too much hate too much suspicion too many secrets and too much darkness no and and, and like coming in into the second season like like i felt like this like 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 we had all these highs so like we have to pay this off like this has to yeah the consequence of this act has to be paid off and we spent a lot of time talking about um when uh the super act was going to go into effect um and like you know because we have from the beginning had some really clear ideas of what of why we wanted it to pass and like um what we were going to do with it but um it like it might have been almost like when we were recording that we finally decided that um it was going to pass at the end of episode one. Sorry, Mr. Jackson, but what does that mean? It means that we're all fucked. The goddamn super act is going to pass. Yeah, well, it's it's also the yeah. way it passed. Personally, like a thing that I, I was banking on with the Biden presidency was he talked a lot about uh, pre-K for parents. And I am a new I mean, newer dad, new. I, my son is about to be three, so I don't know if I get to claim new dad status anymore. Get but, out of here, old dad, Dorsey. Yeah, but ch- child care has been a thing that has been is is so yeah. expensive and has been really stressful in our home. And it almost passed and it failed because of Joe Manchin, that coal baron motherfucker. It was one vote. It was one vote and he could have done it. And it felt right to have something so consequential, you know, fail by a single vote in Congress or pass, but still like have the right thing fail because of one person who might've gotten lobbied by, I don't know, Satan, who the, who the fuck knows who does, (laughs) who knows who, who, who votes against this stuff and why, and we wanted this to fail early and to deal with that fallout as much as possible. Yeah, uh, yeah, the Super Act, it's like, you know, it's just so deeply. It's one of those things that like the law itself is so impersonal, like it's passed by someone literally because of cultural wars nonsense, the Super Act. Right. I mean, like, like it's passed to like please people like Gary Guinness and to show like, hey, you know, we're taking supers seriously. And it doesn't do anything but, like, ruin the private lives of just, like, of strangers. And that is why we pushed for the Super Act. And why Norris is a champion of the people's rights to— Well, I wouldn't— Can can, can I just—can I just finish here? Right. Like, nominally, it's for collective safety. But it just makes these marginalized groups feel less safe. I think I really like that we touched on it, but it is always one of those things that, like, God, like, I can't wait until— norm core like gets like shot out of a cannon or maybe conquers the earth because who knows what's going to happen in the back half of the season that's right i mean no spoilers here yeah. i think this is a good time to talk about the people who are fighting yeah. back oh, incognito right yeah. which is you know we okay so at the top we mentioned x-men and even in season one we had this discussion of like okay how do we do what is our take uh-huh. on the x-men who who are 
are social justice warriors. Well, I, I, uh, I actually love and, our first take on the X-Men was like, what if it was just the school and not the paramilitary group? Because <laughs> like that's that was the future of People Academy when we first came up with it. It's like, no, 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 no. It's just the school. Right, yeah. but then, you know, we kind of talked about it and we were like, okay, let's make let's have this make sense and then by the time we kind of were like, all right, this is how we're going to make the future people work, which again, if you don't remember this, we mentioned them in season 1. We have Dr. Hannah Nasir, she's kind of supposed to be our Charles Xavier yeah. Professor X character, but then it sort of just fell apart the more we looked at it and instead we thought about, okay, who are the people who are fighting back against fascism right now? And, you know, you can look at uh, Antifa and it's really easy to like, the, you know, there's no leader that you can see for Antifa. They kind of had to have a uniform, which is just people who wear all black and throw bricks at fascists. Right. So we came up with this idea of like, oh, like, you know, in this world of, people who wear capes and masks and you know have this like you know symbol that they put on their chest well what's the opposite of this it would just be people who are like you know what i don't have an identity i don't have any of this i well, you know, yeah, it's I also, am, how do i react I, to the super act yeah and it's to, to it's to just remove yourself from it entirely so and one of the things that i know you talked about and sort of conceiving the incognito and these young people is you talked a lot about the parkland kids mm -hmm. yeah and and yeah I, I like when we were um um when we were writing it too i mean like 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 we wanted to like get a a voice for these kids and like like how would they be received and like you know kind of the way the parkland kids are received or um uh greta thurnberg where it's like you know the news is going to cover them and be very polite and no policymaker is going to take them seriously. Right. Absolutely like they're, not. they're spectacle. Like, they're, they're... they're like, Hey, the kids are all right now. Anyways, uh, let's, uh, let's cut but down. Anyways, the that pipeline yeah. needs to be right. But also like, even then, but also like, it's like, you know, Antifa, like literally fighting Nazis and people are like, well, Antifa is bad. And it's like, they are fighting nazis like i just i want to put this sentence back down on paper let's just put it all in caps antifa fights fascists uh, it's, yeah it's like they're anti-fascists are bad yet we're in that phoebe joey meme antifa antifa right it, but like yeah and it's just it, it in if the x-men yeah. were real they would be they would be treated like Antifa. They'd be like, these guys are bad. And then like, you know, because and I and the reason why I'm, I'm saying this is because, you know, with our sort of like, here are the things that we suggest. Me and Max are millennials. We grew up on the X-Men cartoon like that is our version of the X-Men. And that and like, I feel like there is a generation of young or I mean, we're not young. Oh, my God. Yeah, we're no, like, we're, we're world. I'm going to be. Am I 35? Do I don't kid. even know anymore. Um, I have a child. But anyways, like it really kind of radicalized us in a like a lightly in this way of just like the government's bad. You should not trust these people because that entire show 
the bad guy is the government. I mean, they have giant robots that are trying to murder folks, but like, don't forget the bad guy is the U.S. government. It's my one of my favorite aspects of the X-Men. Uh, another thing that I think is good to kind of read to sort of get up on the sort of registration and other stuff. An underrated uh, pick, Civil War by Mark Miller and Steve McNiven. Um, you've probably seen the MCU version. The comic book version is actually... It's a big swing that's kind of done poorly, but it, you know, this was the storyline of this was Marvel's take on, okay, we're going to register all the superheroes. And I appreciated it. It came out when I was in college. And, you know, Max, I'm sure you remember uh, when the Patriot Act was just like welcomed in. And being a young person, I know I was kind of like, what is happening? We are not the bad guys. Those guys were not like just your regular, regular citizens. Why are you spying on us? And how all of this was like applauded, yeah. you know, and it felt refreshing to have a comic book like yeah. address this and to acknowledge, hey, there is overreach. Happening. Well, you know, you know, it's typical in situations like this. Artists are like, hey, maybe if we didn't. Uh, meanwhile, policymakers yeah. are all like, yeah, well, you know, bipartisan spirit, we're going to keep Americans safe from sending a text yeah. privately to another from f- from yeah. Americans doing yeah. things. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but and you know what? L- last suggestion. And this is just a, a reason why Watchmen is still the king of all yeah. superhero comics. Watchmen takes place in a post superhero registration world, which is something that like consistently blows my mind whenever I think about it, because obviously, you know, the X-Men has been dealing with sort of, you know, civil issues since its inception. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, Professor X was based on MLK. Magneto was based on Malcolm X. But, you know, Watchmen like hard baked registration into the story and you barely get to see it because it's just how deep that book is. Yeah. Um, God, there's a lot of Watchmen. There's a lot of specific Watchmen references, uh, which if you have read it, uh, like uh, my wife, Carla, like cracked up when she heard uh, Juhi's uh, speech on the Capitol. These politicians shout for us to save them, but when we need help, they whisper no. This season is pretty is is a lot darker it's than dark, season no, one it, i will darker, admit that but it's not pessimistic in the same way yeah yeah right like like like, like yeah. I, I i think in some ways it's hard to go that dark without just like being a real bummer you know well we you know we temper it we temper it oh, we have fart jokes yes we do so our last big storyline we're going to talk about is the doppelganger threat i i heard that that's a rumor it no but no it's been confirmed at this point uh, in the season yeah i don't know i mean because like I, those normcore guys uh say we shouldn't have to worry about it too much yeah well you know if the president says it but you know we got there's this evil force they've been pulling the strings in season one oh, and two you. we don't know what they want we don't know who they are but we know they've been influencing events in superhuman public radio for quite some time and 
I don't know. You know, I have a reason why I like them as sort of our, you know, spoopy big bad. But, you know, Max, like what works for you about writing this sort of nebulous evil in our world? We wrote the first season in lockdown. And, you know, so Doppelganger Threat was a big stand in for COVID for us. Uh, Just like the idea that there is this threat, but because it's invisible, people don't take it seriously. Um, Yeah. But I, yeah. you know, I think it's evolved into sort of like being the sort of all encompassing issue that uh, we have with the way that we you know deal with most things, because, you know, it, it like the way that it is just sort of like in the background, it's something that like you will forget about as you listen to the show. And then there'll be like little reminders and you're like, oh, yeah, like how seriously should we be taking this right now? And it's like, you know, it's, you know, it's been a stand in for climate change, uh, honestly, more so, I think, in this next season. Yeah, well, you know, that's interesting. I've always thought about the doppelgangers sort of being people who vote in. Who who kind of vote for, like, the evil politicians, wait, wait, right? Wait. Like the doppelgangers are they're, yeah and not not them necessarily being the politicians because i feel like people that are evil these days are pretty pretty honest honest about being evil it's more this idea that there are folks around us who are enacting these things and you know there are friends there are there are what (laughs) barf and but like they exist and there have been times in my life where i've had a friend you know, all of a sudden I'll hear something come out of their mouths and I'm like, oh, my God, like, I cannot believe that you support that. And like they're they're folks that, you know, in some cases I like looked up to and it just feels like. You know, as you mentioned, climate change and the fact that our. You know, a lot of our friends and family are being targeted by right wing politicians and you're looking around and you're like, who could possibly be voting for this? And like those folks are around and you just you don't know uh rtu i mean i guess there is the idea of like legitimately not being able to trust your uh neighbor and yeah no i, I and i see that actually now in your doppelganger segments it's you know we, we should do this more often <laughs> talk about subtext yeah we should talk about the show to each other it's, yeah, it's weird that we, that we never, don't uh, never mentioned it but you know, we can't talk about them too much without spoilers, but I, I do want to talk about what I what I you know tend to think about, like what I draw inspiration from uh, for the doppelgangers. The most obvious thing are scrolls. Oh, yeah. I mean, the um, secret invasion, Marvel's secret invasion, not the show, which I haven't uh, watched. It's the comic series I haven't read. The, the comic by Brian Michael Bendis and uh Linnell Francis Yu, I mean, that's just like it's such an iconic book and the fact that they set it up for so long. And, you know, Bendis is a guy that I kind of have like a love hate relationship with him because I feel like he should just write movies because his comics are just like they're just like walls of dialogue. And I get so when I open up a comic page and like there's just word balloons everywhere, I get so bummed out and just like, oh, God, I read I don't read comics to read. I read comics because they're cool. <laughs> where, where where are my sound effect panels where are my buffs yeah. um oh honestly like you you know the doppelganger threat and, and and secret invasion actually like 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 calls that out is like you know that scrolls are a problem 
But like on the other hand, it's like you got you have the robot that's in front of you, right? You have the terrible robot that's here. You know? Like like there's fucking Nazis out there. Like I yes, I know I should, you know, not drive as much, but also like someone is like like shooting at me. What do you want? Uh and, and I feel yeah. like that's uh that's kind of like how we incorporated the doppelganger threat in because like really I think most of the tension this season is between uh incognito and normcore on the forefront and cosmos and norris and zen and galatea and that kind of stuff and like in season one like uh you know we had the death of quantum the deportation of 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 cosmos and like you know when we're in the writer's room we're always like and here a little sneaky doppelganger reference but like but you just get overwhelmed um and it you know doesn't mean that it's less serious oh man yeah, but like, you know, but like Dale. we literally had a virus in season one where if you heard a song, you would be a zombie who forced other people to listen to a song and the entire world got infected except for one lady. Right. I mean, it's hard to focus on doppelgangers when you have that kind of stuff on the daily. That's true. God, I, I love that. I love uh, speak, speak, speaking speaking oh, yeah, of the yeah, Avengers. Yeah. I, I I love that episode. Uh, it's in like twelve. That is, that's one of my favorites that yeah, I've written on the one, show. Yeah. I have a song stuck in my head. One one of the things I um, looking back over season two, I wish we got more Franklin this season. Yeah. Ethan Schwartz, I enjoy your program. Thanks. Well, you know, that's the thing. If we, you know, we do this as we we try to put out a show that we talk about being like HBO quality, which is, you know, just us blowing smoke up our own butts. But you take that back. This is you know, HBO in a, in Max. Another, in another. <laughs> well, this what yeah. is currently happening. Yeah, this is like yeah. Discovery this is, Channel. This is Paramount <laughs> Plus worthy. Yeah. But. I, you know, there's a version of the show that's like a lot. Just like a lot, like a smaller scale, 20 episode season, just, you know, like WB (laughs) era Mm -hmm. level show. But we can't help ourselves. We just want it to be as good as possible. I mean, like I am. I'm legitimately editing as we're talking. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It just it doesn't end. It doesn't end. All right. And this so we've taken you behind the scenes on our biggest storylines of the season. Uh, We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to be back with the official SPR reading list. That's in a minute after the ad break. Oh, my God. Ethan Schwartz. That was Ethan Schwartz. Oh, okay, we're back. All right, we've talked about some of the direct influences on the show's storylines, but I wanted to share some comics that I read in order to gain inspiration on the show. Max, I think you have some as well? Question mark. Yep. (laughs) And this is also a reading list list for Max. Um, Uh, I'm currently uh, reading uh, The Lions of Al-Razan on my Kindle. Oh, that's great. That sounds like some real nerd stuff. Yeah. Is it's, it? It's pretty nerdy. 
it is yeah you you read like <laughs> when when we can when whenever i ask mass like hey what are you reading and you're like you're like it's this kindle only series and it's like an anime that's magic it's a guy's self-published book he puts he puts seven no, out no, no, of them no, at on, once on. it's the greatest thing off, i've ever that read book series uh hit one on the Amazon store in the last like six issues, their Kickstarter hit a million dollars in five days. Like this guy, uh, Will White, uh, he 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 makes a good quality product. He he is us, Jack. If we were successful, <laughs> <laughs> we're not successful. We're not. Uh, <laughs> um, and then whenever Max is like, what are you reading? And I'm like, I'm reading murder, blood, murder <laughs> stories. <laughs> yeah. Um, God, yeah, no, I think about like the last three books I've read. They're all super nerdy. All right. So we're going to retitle this to Jack's comic reading list for SPR season one. Wait, no, for SPR. It's Jack's comics season reading two. list. Let's go with the five top ones. And we're going to do something we've already mentioned. It's the ultimate universe by primarily it's brian michael bendis warren ellis did work on it and mark miller uh this is my era of marvel when i was a kid my dad didn't really let me read comics so i couldn't really get a hand on them until i was like 13 i started making my own money and by that time you know actually it was probably around 16 but when i started reading them that's when ultimate spider-man was coming out that's when ultimate x-men was coming out that's when the ultimates were coming out and anyways uh the ultimate universe is what i remembered really <laughs> fondly i think you should read it <laughs> stuck the landing number four number yeah, four just, yeah, just, just kick him out kick him out boom all right next up is astro city by kurt uh busek it's busek uh it was drawn by various artists um alex ross did the covers uh the main artist is mostly a man named brett anderson uh this is my platonic idea of a cape book uh, astro city is this this book about a city full of superheroes it's its own little superhero universe, kind of in the same vein that like Invincible is its own or The Boys, but instead of being this like subversive take on a superhero universe, which is what everybody kind of does in their own, it winds up being this like very character focused version of a superhero universe and all the stories are like vignettes. Like there are kind of big a stories but like it really winds up being essentially this like group of short stories about superheroes and villains and well it's just like if you're looking for good clean superhero fun that's maybe something that you haven't encountered a bunch like it's 100 percent something i think you should this check is, out this is the uh series that uh that critic compared us to right yeah, uh, Sam McDonald, a.k.a. The Audiophile, uh, he was right on the money. He called this out on his first review of the series and was like, damn, he, he got us. Um, if, if you're going to pick this book up, uh, I suggest if you're going to pick any part of this book up, I, I want you to pick up uh, volume 14. 
It focuses on a former villain named Steeljack who's just gotten out of jail and he's trying to put his life back together. And it's kind of like this like hard-boiled noir about this former henchman. It's it's really oh, I like cool. I, it's just it's it's good. It's good clean superhero uh, yeah work. i mean we said at the beginning that uh the show is mostly you giving me comic recommendations and yeah 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 i'm in uh, okay all right number three is vision by writer tom king and artist gabriel uh, hernandez walta uh there are two people there are two writers who are working today no matter what they put on the shelves i'm going to pick their stuff up if you've watched wandavision that takes a lot of elements of this of comic vision. book like he's he's just yeah vision yeah and he's one of the like most influential people working in comics today he writes comics for adults which is not to say comics full of like sex blood and violence which uh, uh jeff johns i'm looking at you just because you put that in a book does not make it adult like you know that's what like the dc universe or the dc cinematic universe tried to do is they're just like this is for adults because it's dark and blah 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 like no like he writes books for people who are married you know <laughs> like so this book vision is about uh the famous android hero moving to arlington virginia hey that's where i live and he starts his own little android family that he makes and it's just kind of about how he's balancing his life and you know there's a lot about Vision's marriage and the stress of being a parent and just the sort of weirdness of being a superhero family. Um, not in like the Incredibles kind of way, but more in like like true strangeness that would follow follow it. Um, check out King's work. I promise you're going to find a run on either like his run on Batman is really just about how much he loves his wife. Uh, Mr. Miracle, which is dealing with the fact that being a parent's really hard and being a parent with depression is like really, really hard. Um, you should check out his work. You're not yeah. going to regret it. I, 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 I mean, I, mean, I will say King for uh, people listening that every comic Jack has put in my hands has been like phenomenal. And I would have read Vision, except for the yeah. version I got uh, was used and for some reason uh, <laughs> was in German. <laughs> uh, but you know what? You did read a Tom King book. You read Heroes in Crisis. Really enjoyed that. Um, and yeah, which is. Yeah. And uh, um, there's a few uh, segments um, this season that I think uh, really uh, pull from that like just just like sort of like um mood wise yeah he's the best you gotta check out tom king and also check out james tinney in the fourth if you are into horror but uh department of truth amazing nice house on the lake amazing blue book amazing check nice. out his work all right coming in at number two is x oh Machina. nice by writer Brian K. Vaughn and artist and artist Tony Harris. So are you familiar no, with I'm X a Machina? Big, uh, uh, saga guy. Yeah. So Brian K. Vaughn, definitely one of the you know biggest comic writers. Um, X Machina was like a huge comic book for me in college. Um, I originally went to school to be a comic book artist slash author, 
and I would spend all my money at Home Run Video in Savannah, Georgia, and somebody at the shop told me to check out Ex Machina, and like it blew my mind. Um, it's about uh, Mitchell Hundred. He's this young mayor in sort of like post 9-11 New York, and he's an independent, and lo and behold, he used to be a superhero in a world where like he was the only one. He has the ability to talk to machines and you know, you would imagine like, oh, this would be this huge piece of this comic. But instead, it really focuses on like him just trying to be a mayor and like his old villains like kind of come out of the uh, the woodwork. And it's written this really interesting way where like it's primarily all the stories are sort of broken across three issues. So you're kind of getting like an episode of television via those. And you know, it deals with school vouchers, uh, post 9-11 privacy, sexuality, what's right, what's legal. And, you know, if you're online and you're big in comics, you're going to see like, we need to get politics out of comics. And like Brian K. Vaughn was like, that. this is a comic that is only about politics and it's just like jam packs it full of all of that. And it's so compelling and it's so good. Um, it was one of the first series that I like had all the volumes of. And uh, you, you, if you are a big comic guy, and if you like how political SPR is that yeah, you have people to who say, uh, let's get co- like politics out of like X art form have no understanding of why people write art. Like, it's not that they don't want to politicize. It's that they're yeah. tired of being portrayed as the bad guys. And you would you'd think they would be like, huh, yeah. I should rethink myself. And they're like, no, Spider-Man should be <laughs> racist. <laughs> it's just like so insane. Oh, my God. All right. So, Max, if I if, if we're on to number one, what do you think my number one suggested oh, comic geez. is? I have read your list. <laughs> oh. That's right. It's uh, Peepo Chu, which is a manga series about a guy. No, it's not that. We're going to talk about yeah. Watchmen by Alan Moore and artist Dave Gibbons. Um, if you have not seen the Watchmen movie, if you have not read the Watchmen comic, if you not re- watched the Watchmen television show, if you just don't know anything about Watchmen, turn this off. Just read it right now. It's wait, as wait, good wait, as wait, everybody wait, 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 wait. says it is. If you are listening to this episode a couple weeks late, don't turn it off. Continue listening to SPR and read it later. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> listen to the show, but like, all right. No, so, but yeah. like Watchmen, when I when I, when I think about this comic, I think about the Mona Lisa and how like the Mona Lisa is like, if you look at it as an art piece, like it is not particularly amazing, right? Like it was a portrait. It's not of a famous woman. It's just really really good but it's also the fact that when you like put the Mona Lisa up against another portrait from the time the other portrait is like totally two-dimensional I think about in terms where if you have Watchmen and then you put it up against anything around it right like anything from that era anything from before it and it's just all of a sudden all the characters are in 3D it's no longer this book about good and evil like everybody's kind of gray and you know the characters have like very relatable and very human issues and like this is something that if you were reading comics you're like this is not comic stuff this is like novel stuff and it's a reason why everybody's like it's the greatest graphic novel of all time 
it's just this amazing piece of art because like all of a sudden all the characters are in 3d and i truly think about comics being like before watchmen and after watchmen and when i think about spr and like you know the quality we try to do on the show like a thing like we're never going to be as good as watchmen but it's like let's at least try to pay as much attention yeah. as they did for this one project that they did um, together have, have i told you the thing that carla says to me sometimes uh and she'll do it like unexpectedly from time to time uh she'll just like pat me on the chicken and be like hey you're not as smart as leonardo da vinci and you never will be and then she just carries on with the rest of her day <laughs> Well, that's yeah. how, that's love, <laughs> and, and, it's, and, it's, and it's true. Like, you know, it's you know, I I I I I can't I can't beat that. I'm look. I know I'm not going to be as good a writer as Alan Moore. I know that I'm not going to be as good a writer as Tom King. But like, God damn it, we should at least try. That's the thing that we try to do on the show. We we try to like take it serious enough so that it feels real and like you know again we write fart jokes we write like people falling from the sky but like we try to make it feel real and and feel of a universe yeah that was that was beautiful uh just hearing you talking about that 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 is that is inspiring i feel i feel hyped i feel like i can run through a wall uh like you, you should give these webs, uh talks every like a uh, week or so when i'm feeling burnt out from editing 24 <laughs> 7 yeah i would love to do that but i won't i'm just gonna let you work in the darkness because i'm working like full time right now um but all right so we've reached the end episode one behind the scenes hopefully you've learned a little bit or you've just been like good lord these guys talk so i mean you're gonna cut this down to a tight five right (laughs) oh yeah definitely five minutes material worth here but um, before we leave we wanted to give you a hint about the back half oh. of season two. And, you know, as we know, uh, Quantum has returned. Well, he gave that big speech uh, is the thing. I don't know if you remember that happening. Oh, yeah. So Quantum has returned. It's this huge universe shaking event. How is this going to affect the world going into the back half of season two? I mean, when we wrote this season, we wanted to really have more main characters. And uh, we've introduced uh, his two daughters, uh, Porfa and Juhi, um, uh, so far this season. And yeah, we are going to see how this uh, return kind of affects them both uh, over the course of uh, the second half of the season. And I'm really, really looking forward to uh, the ways we get to play out uh, their sibling dynamic. And uh, yeah, and just like see like how they deal with it their dad's been dead for a year and to suddenly come back like this i am very excited uh to set you all on 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 their investigatory journey well all right this has been spr behind the scenes episode one the comics that inspire spr max can you take us out your best this is spr you you never let me do it I know, you get to do it. This is SPR. Yay, we did it. You're going to edit that out because it's funny. 
you're you're gonna you're 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 gonna have the intro saying that again. I'm, I'm gonna get to do it, and then you're gonna cut in you saying it, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, that's Damn exactly it. what it's gonna be. And in fact, this is gonna be the last thing anybody hears. This has been SBR. <laughs> the Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. How much do you know about cryonic preservation? Cryonic preservation. The preservation of human beings at extreme low temperature. You mean like like uh, Walt Disney? I swear to God, if you say anything about Walt Disney's frozen head, I'm hanging up this phone right now. Swear to me, you've never heard of the Red Valley Seabolt until I just told you. I swear. You swear? Could you take your hand off my knee? Look, Warren, if they're sending the butter wouldn't melt new boy looking for Red Valley, it'll be for a reason. Trust me. People are losing their lives in this company. We pulled him out too soon. He is awakening exactly as we planned. He's dying on me! We're all murderers here. Bryony, you, me, that doorman probably. Guy on the corner there with a the neck tattoo. I bet he's killed someone. Would you like to cut his head off? I'm sorry. The saw is funny. Gordon, why are you sharing this stuff with me? Why are you smiling? I don't know. I smile when things get awkward. Get in your golden bullet, pick me up. You want to go to Red Valley? You want to go to Red Valley? Red Valley. Red Valley. Red Valley. Red Valley. Red Valley. Red Valley is available on all podcast providers. Do you want to continue?